and welcome as our students head over to Mercury Mine and uh, our children go back to class. You guys have a great class. Be nice to your teachers. And I'm going to ask you to uh, grab your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one of the Bibles in front of you and you can find 2 Timothy chapter 3 on page 936. And as you're going there, I just want to acknowledge that yesterday was Veterans Day. I think that's a really important day for us to remember those who are serving and those that have served. So if if you are a veteran or if you have a family member who is either serving now or is a veteran, would you please stand? Let's give them a hand first. I want you to stay standing for a minute. God forbid that we ever take for granted those of you who have sacrificed so much. And I have a, I have a nephew who have, who's just uh, stepped out of the Marines. He was at VMI, Virginia Military Institute, was in the Marines for almost six years, working in Washington, D.C., and uh, now he's at uh, business school. But I want to pray for those in our country that have served and are serving right now. Father, we thank you for so many men and women that have sacrificed so much selflessly so that they could help us live in a country that is free. Not a perfect country, Lord, we know that. But a country in which we can freely worship you. And Lord, we know even from Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. That's our greatest freedom. But Lord, I never want to take away from the men and women who, Lord, have uh, sacrificed so much that we could live in a country that is so much better than any other country around this world, Lord. We know that. So we thank you for these people. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. March 12th, 2015, I was getting on a plane from Phoenix, and I was flying to Indianapolis to see my family, and then I was going to a, a conference up in Chicago. And as I'm walking on the jetway, my phone rings. And I look down, it's my dad. Unusual for him to call me in the middle of the day. Usually we would talk on the weekends. And I almost like to go to voicemail, but then I, I picked it up. And I said, Dad, how you doing? And there was a lot of noise going on, and he just said, your brother John passed away. My twin brother. And, you know, I'm just like people all around me. I'm trying to, you know, just keep my composure. And he goes, I said, what happened? You know, it's the first question you're going to ask. And he said he took his life. And God's grace was I was getting on a plane to go to Indianapolis where my family is. I mean, that was certainly God's grace. But it was shocking in that moment for sure. The reality is. Adversity and difficulties will come when you least expect it. That was the last thing I expected in that moment. Some of you have testimony. You can, you can attest to the fact that adversity and difficulties and trials will come when you least expect it. Some of you may be going through that right now. And that's why it's so important for us 
to be prepared. I mean, you may be faithfully going to church and faithfully reading the word and faithfully praying. You may be teaching God's word. And when you least expect it, adversity can come. And when it does, you need to be prepared. So often we think like, like some point I'll, I'll, I'll get my faith right. Man, you don't know what's going to come and when it's going to come. You don't want to have to try to figure it out in the moment. Like in that moment, I was just like, I was praying. I got a call from a friend of mine a couple days ago whose 11-year-old son just recently has come down with this disease that is just debilitating. It's healthy, young. Boy, he's, he's lost 20 pounds already. And they know the Lord, and, 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 and you know, he's trying to hold on to hope, and he's struggling. And then it's just last week, this same family had a baby, baby daughter, and they're, they're trying to rejoice in that, but they're seeing their son who might be a lifelong debilitation. And, and this son, their son is, is losing hope right now. And, 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 you know, I had to remind them. I said, listen, we don't know God's sovereign plan. But, but we do know that when you study the scriptures, you see like Joseph, like he, he didn't know at the, at the time where he was sold into slavery that he would be used to save a nation. And, and you need to understand, help your son understand some of these great men and women of the Bible who had went through really difficult times and didn't understand what God was doing, but they could look back and say, I understand it, I get it, and try to give them hope. Here's a family that knew James 1, count it all joy. Some of you, you know, count it all joy when you experience various trials. But when those adversities, when those trials come, you want to be deeply rooted in God's word and God's truths. So you're not just thrown off. See, our response can tell us a lot about where we are in the Lord, about our, 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 uh, about our faith. Timothy had been going through a really difficult time. He's a pastor in Ephesus. And Paul writes this letter from prison, from really a dungeon. And he knew that this young pastor, his faith was being tested. He knew that person. Persecution was prevalent. He knew that false teachers were opposing the truth, that they were impacting his church. Timothy may have been tempted to compromise the truth. He may have been tempted to, to water down God's word. And Paul sensed this, and he reminds Timothy of the gospel, of the importance of the gospel, of what has saved him, of his pedigree, of his, of his mom and his grandmother who had taught truths to him. He was reminded of the path that God had put him on. And Paul doesn't try to gaslight Timothy. Like, it's just like, you become a Christian and everything's going to be great. Like, if you like puppy dogs, this is for you. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know. That's not true. Paul confirms it. But more importantly, I think from this text, he reminds us as the church that difficult times will come. Adversity will rattle us, and he tells us how to remain faithful in adversity. Some of you right now may need this message because you're struggling. You're struggling with your faith. How do you remain faithful in moments of difficulty? Well, here's the big idea of the message, and it really becomes the outline for my message. Here's the big idea. Faithfulness in adversity is built on following faithful examples 
continuing in the truths you've learned and following the right map. Faithfulness in adversity, faithfulness in trials, faithfulness in difficulty is built on following faithful examples, continuing in the truths you've learned, and following the right map. Let's read, starting in chapter 3, verse 10. Paul speaking to Timothy. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium. And at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Awesome. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So how do you remain faithful in the face of adversity? First. Follow faithful examples. Now, as we've been studying this through this book, Paul has just declared to Timothy that difficult days are ahead. What's the cause of those difficult days? He tells us, he says, people will be lovers of self. And then you see in, in, in verses 2 through 4, this 18 different manifestations of people being lovers of self. Lovers of money, lovers of uh, uh, boastful, proud, arrogant, disobedient to parents. And he goes on. He, and then he says at the end of, end of verse 4, he says, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. We talked about it last week. There's a misplaced love. Difficult days are coming because we live in a world where there's a misplaced love. Instead of loving God and the truths of God's word, we love the things of the world. He tells us that there's false teachers. They have an appearance of godliness but deny the power. He speaks of Jonas and Jambres who opposed the truth, the, the prophets we saw in Exodus chapter 7, those that opposed Moses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. But then you see this sharp turn. He says, you, however, Timothy, you, however, I love that. It's an incredible word of encouragement. This Deep contrast from the way the world is going to the way Timothy's going. He says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim, my, my, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Think about this. Timothy, the world, the culture, the progressivists, they're going this direction. It's like this. These rapids that are barreling down this canyon. And you're going this way. You're swimming against the stream. And it's not just a stream. It's almost like a class five rapids. Which you don't even want to be in in the first place. When all these people are going this way, you're not, Timothy. Paul said, you, however. What an encouragement. I know many of you. Are, are in this church, are, are, are walking a faith that is not going with the culture, but 
It's going against the culture. And we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. We're not, we're not, we're not to be conformed to this world, but be, we're, we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And I, I pray that the whole Christian church would be that way, that we would be like those in Acts where it says that they knew that these men had been with Jesus. They were so different. You know, we don't want to be those people like when we tell somebody that we're Christians, like, you are? Like they're shocked. No, come on. You, there's no way. Now, when I go home or I see friends from college, like they say that. But they haven't seen me in 25 years. And, and so when they hear that I'm a pastor, it's like, there is no way that guy's a pastor. I'm like, like, for sure. But see, that's the power of God right there. If God can save me, he can save anybody. If he, God can change me, he can change anyone. Paul, you are living contrary to the way or Timothy, you're living contrary to the ways of the false teachers and their teaching. What made Timothy different? Well, we see here, first of all, it's the examples that he followed. Notice, you, however, have followed. And he uses the word my eight different times. Like it's repeated for effect. Now, some people could read that and say, that's pretty prideful of Paul. Like, Timothy, you want to be the man? Just follow me because I'm the man. Just follow what I ever do. But see, we got to understand a little bit more about Paul. See, Paul wasn't just going his own way. In fact, look, look at what it says in 1 Corinthians. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Like, follow me as I follow Christ. I, my life is to imitate Christ, so follow me as I follow Christ. Notice what he says in Philippians chapter 3. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. See, this, this idea of... Of, of being faithful, of persevering through adver ad adversity is to surround yourself with men and women who are faithfully following Christ. Listen, that's why we have small groups. That's why we don't want people just to get together and just, like, I love snacks in small group. Love them. Like, I'm, I'm the snack guy. Like, let me taste your snacks. But I want men in my small group when we break out men with men, women with women, I want men holding me accountable, asking me the tough questions, because I know, I know what's in my heart. Like, I, it's not good. And so I need men to hold me accountable. But I want also women holding Pam accountable, asking her the tough questions. She wants that for me. I want that for her. We want to surround ourselves that are, that are walking with Christ, that are running towards Christ. Not afraid for others to see what's really going on in our lives. He says, you, however, have followed my teaching. When he speaks of his teaching, it speaks of, of the doctrines that Paul taught. What does God's word say? It's not the, the newest, latest teaching of the last 100 years or 150 years. It's going back to historic Orthodox Christianity. What God's word said and meant 2,000 years ago. Not how we've reinterpreted it. In the last 100 or 150 years. Like, if there's a doctrine that doesn't sound like it's from the Bible, you may want to go back and read the early church fathers. What did they believe? It's really important. He says, you've, you've followed my, my teaching, my conduct. Paul practiced what he preached. When we were in Dallas, 
I coached my sons in football. And our men's, I was the men's pastor there. Our men's ministry was called Men of Faith. Or Men of Honor, excuse me, Men of Honor. And I had to stop wearing that hat when I was coaching football. Now, that's not a good thing. Like, don't change your hat, change you. Like, that, I was the one that needed, like, like, I'd come home and, you know, from football practice, and, and, and I'd be just like, I'd still be amped up. Pam goes, Bill, you're no longer on the football field. Just relax. Life's, life's, life's okay. But, but Paul, he practiced what he preached. Notice what he says. He says, my conduct. In fact, Paul, I, I love this about him. When he was on his third missionary journey, he, he passes Ephesus, and he goes to Miletus, and he calls the elders of Ephesus to himself. And in Acts chapter 20, verse 18, he says, You know how I lived among you the whole time I was with you, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. He says, You know how I was with you. He says, My life was an open, open book. I wasn't perfect. Like when I sinned against you, I'd, I'd ask for forgiveness. Paul wasn't perfect. But his conduct, Timothy could follow his conduct. I mean, he didn't just preach sacrifice and then sit in his recliner. He was willing to live a sacrifice life. Notice this. He says, my aim in life. I love this. What is your aim in life? It speaks of his purpose in life. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And also the Diamondbacks and the Cowboys and maybe, no, no. Like he was so focused. And Timothy, and I'm not saying that other stuff's bad, but I mean, you knew who he stood for. And you knew his aim in life. It was clear. I was over at GCU this week, and I had lunch with Fanwell. Many of you know Fanwell. We have, uh, so there's 10 seminary students. There'll be 15 uh, coming up. They're uh, MDiv students, Master of Divinity students at, at the GCU Seminary. And they brought in 10 students from the African Bible College, and we helped to underwrite two of those. And, and one of them, his name is Fanwell. In fact, Patience was supposed to be baptized this morning, but they're, they're both, I asked him if it was okay to tell this story, they both had to go to the president of the African Bible Colleges in town, so they're, they're meeting with him at another church. And so I met with him, and I said, so how's it going at GCU? Because it's a culture shock. For sure. I mean, in Malawi, which, you know, their average income is $300 a year. So it's a big difference. And he says, oh, it's, I love it here. And I said, are you meeting friends? He says, I've met many friends. And it was so good. To, I said, how's your school going? He told me, and he's doing well in school. And I said, so tell me about your friends. He says, yeah, after class, we'll go into a classroom, and there's like 15 or 20 of us, and we'll pray. And we just pray. I love that. And I said, then what do you do? You go to your room? He said, no. Then I go out. And I start talking to people about Jesus. On campus, yes. And he says, some people don't want to hear about Jesus. I said, you're a Christian school. He says, I know. And, and, and so he had a, there was a lady he spoke to this last week. And he, he, he says, um, do you want to talk about Jesus? And she says, no. He says, well, let me tell you a little bit about it. She says, he goes, you have five minutes. And so two hours later, she accepts Christ. I love that. His aim in life, he realizes he has left his home. He's helping to support his family back in Malawi. And he realized, and he wants to go back there and be a pastor. Yet while he's here, he realizes God's going to use me here. I'm going to bloom where I'm planted. It doesn't matter where you are. 
Monday, you're going to be back in your work. Bloom where you're planted. Make a difference for Christ where you are. Paul says, my aim in life, it speaks of his purpose. And, and, and because of his aim, because of his teaching, notice what it says here. You, he followed his faith and patience and love and steadfastness. When he had a right view of God, a vertical view of God, understanding who God is, what he had done for him, like, it's going to impact your faith. It's going to impact your patience. It's going to impact your love. It's going to impact how you deal with other people. But it also led to persecution and suffering. Timothy was also with Paul in his persecutions, verse 11, and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. That word endured is to face yet withstand with courage. If you read Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 14, those are the cross-references for this right here. Put your feet in the sandals of Paul during Acts 13 and 14. It was during those times that he was whipped, 40 lashes minus one, beaten with rods, stoned, left for dead. Timothy saw how he dealt with the persecutions and the sufferings, how he kept his eyes on the Lord. He didn't sugarcoat. He knew he was willing to suffer for the cause of Christ because he knew that Christ had suffered for him. See, when we recognize, when we really comprehend the gospel, the fact that Jesus has suffered for us, that he bled and died for us, so we could have eternal life, would we not be willing to suffer for him? L listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings. Like, I'm telling you, I don't like to suffer. I don't like to go to the dentist to get my teeth cleaned. <laughs> Paul was so focused on what Christ had done for him, that he wanted to share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, he goes, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul was so focused on seeing other people saved that he was willing to suffer. In fact, when you read Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, and Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 3, he says, I wish I were cursed that I might save some. God, give me that heart for souls. And, and then notice what he says in verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus might be persecuted. Is that what it says? Words matter, right? Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That word persecuted, it speaks of systematic attack as a result of religious beliefs. We see that going on in the world right now. We need to pray for Israel, for the people of Israel. We need eyes to be open to the history of the Jewish nation. It doesn't go back just to 40, 1948, but goes all the way back to, to when, actually it goes back to when Abraham was told to go to a land. 
that I will give to you. I'm not going to get political, but I think that's important for us to have a right view of, of, of history. Not only will you be persecuted, but notice what he says in verse 13. While evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Here's for some of you that are looking to the next election, thinking that things will get better if so-and-so gets elected. No, it's not. The scriptures tell us it's going to go from bad to worse. We are not an evolving culture. We are devolving. And that's why as Christians, we need to stand on the truths. That's why I love Martin Luther. He says, here I stand. Like, I, like it doesn't matter what you do to me. I'm standing here. It's why we need a community of others who walk with Christ to keep us on the right path. For some of you, it might mean that you surround and encourage others. I love, you know, Titus 2. You can read it this week where older men in the faith are called to disciple younger men in the faith. Older women in the faith are called to disciple younger women in the faith. Some of you have been Christians for 15, 20, 25, 30 years. Who are you discipling? Who are you pouring into? We all have somebody that we can pour into. Like, I'll never forget, when I got saved, I knew nothing. I didn't know the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. But I would take what my pastor preached on Sunday, and I'd get the guys in my office, and I'd say, let me tell you what I learned this week. And I would take some of the principles out of it. It's like, we can apply this to business. And it's just taking the truths of God's word. I've got a, we got a family here. That he's got, a, he's got a, a study Bible. He sits down with his kids. They're going through Daniel right now. He reads the study notes at the bottom. He becomes learned, and then he teaches it to his kids. It's not, I love this, it's not rocket science. Because if it was, I wouldn't be here for sure. All right. How do you remain faithful in adversity? Follow faithful examples. Second, continue in the truths that you've learned. Continue in the truths that you've learned. Really, verse 14 is kind of the heart of this passage. But notice what he says in verse 14. But as for you, like in this world, persecutions will come. People will go from bad to worse. But as for you, Timothy, once again, it's just this contrast. He keeps driving home this contrast. As for you, continue. Like, Don't stop. Don't retreat. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it. Continue what? The truths of God's word. It's not some new type of learning. It's the scriptures. It's what God has written to us in his word. God wrote a book. And he gave it to us. What a blessing. When Paul heard about the church in Colossae. And about their faith. He wrote them a letter. And he says in verse 9 of chapter 1 this. He says, and so from the day we heard, heard of your salvation, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He's praying, and that's my prayer all the time for our church, that we would be filled, that word filled, it's filled to overflowing. We would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, not our will, 
not what other people think. We would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We would, we would know truth and we would have a spiritual understanding of it. Because if we are saved, we have the Holy Spirit in us. And so the Holy Spirit of God speaks to the Spirit in us. It says that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Listen, we can't grow in the knowledge of God apart from God's word. We can't. Well, I just got this feeling in my stomach. No, that was the bad burrito you had last night. It's God's word. God has revealed himself to us through his word. Listen to what Proverbs says. I love this. Like, don't look to your right or to your left. He says, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. I mean, seek God and what he has done for us. Look to the cross. Ponder the path of your feet. Then your ways will be sure. Don't swerve to the right or the left. Turn your foot away from evil. That which you believe by faith continuing. When Pam and I got saved, Mike Fetchner, who's now with the Lord, he, he, he saw us and he knew we were dangerous. Like we got religion fast and we were telling everybody. Like we didn't know what we were saying. We just said we got Jesus and we've been saved and, and, and God is glorious. And, and, and so he says, well, I got to disciple these guys. And so every Thursday morning at our house, we met, and the goal was we went through the 10 Basics of the Faith by Bill Bright. And that was going to be, we were going to spend maybe three months. It went two and a half years. Like, we were slow learners. The, the reality is, though, is he answered all of our questions. The goal was that he wanted to teach us God's truths. And I know some of you have had others disciple you. And, and so you want to, he's saying, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed the truths of God's word. Firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned. He was talking about Timothy's mother and grandmother that we saw back in verse in chapter one. Continue on in these. That's one of the reasons I think it's so important for us to go back and read some of the great, great, some of the bi biographies of some of the great men of the faith, men and women of the faith, Whitfield and Spurgeon and and, and Jonathan Edwards, if you've never read Robert Murray McShane, I would encourage you, read Robert Murray McShane. He died at 29 years old, Scottish pastor. I mean, this guy just, like, he walked with the Lord. Elizabeth Elliot or Bonhoeffer. Paul was saying, listen, if you want to endure in difficult days, you need to continue in the truths that you've learned. Go back and look to the time you were first saved. Pray for God to give you a hunger and thirst for his word. But not only are we to continue to, to follow faithful examples and continue in the truths that you've learned, but third, follow the right map. Follow the right map. Let me ask you, how many of you remember when there were no smartphones? Raise your hand. Don't be embarrassed. I'm raising my hand. Okay, some of you don't know what it's like to not have a smartphone. Okay, before you had a smartphone, when you decided you were going to drive someplace that you'd never been before, what did you have to do? You pulled out a map, 
I know, it's paper. We cut down trees for maps. And you'd have to chart out a course. And then you'd figure it out, and then you'd follow that, and you'd get to where you want to go. Well, now, what do you do? You just take your phone, you plug in the dress, and it gives you a turn-by-turn directions. And it tells you when it's time. And if you've got, a, if you've got an Apple Watch on, it'll start buzzing at you when, it's, when you're almost getting there. Let me tell you when what that phone has just directed you to doesn't work. Maybe there's two things. One, if you just turn it off and put it away. I'm not going to listen to that. I'm going I'm to do it in my own strength, my own power. Or if you lose cell service, then you're, you're, you're toast also. But, but that would be foolish, right? How often do we do that with God's word? This is God's map for our lives. And sometimes we just don't use it. We put it aside. We might bring it on Sunday, but it doesn't open up the rest of the week. It's pride for me to say, I don't need my phone to tell me where to go. It's pride for me to say God's word. I can figure this life out on my own. Notice notice what he says, verse 14 again. But as for you, continuing what you've learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. These actual words make you, give you the wisdom for salvation. Listen, we have general revelation. General revelation is like, you, you go to the Grand Canyon, and you just say, awesome, there must be a God. But the Grand Canyon doesn't tell you how to be saved. You need special revelation. That's God's word. We need it. See, this is the only map that tells us about how to have eternal life. It's the only map that reveals God's plan of salvation. It's the only map. It's the only book that reveals Jesus Christ who came, who lived, and died. That tells you about this world, where it started, where it is, where it's going, where there's evil, why there's evil, why there's sin, why there's death. It tells us why the world is so messed up. It tells us about heaven and hell. It tells us about how we can have a relationship with God and spend eternity in heaven. It's the only one that tells us that Jesus became the substitute prefigured by the Passover lamb. Jesus Christ, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who died on the cross to 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 take the wrath that each one of us deserved and to give us the salvation we don't deserve. That's grace. That's mercy. There's only one book that shows you how you can have a relationship with your heavenly father. Paul is saying to Timothy, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation. How? Through faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. It's Jesus Christ. You don't need another map. In fact, this is our GPS. Y'all have GPS. Not global positioning system. It's God's plan of salvation. That's what you have. It's God's plan of salvation. It's right here. It tells us. Why would you ignore it? 
When the Lord returns, will you be found on the right path? Because you've been following the right map. When Pam and I got saved, a couple months after we got saved, somebody gave a book, uh, Pam a book on biblical womanhood, and it rocked her world. She ran a, a large company, and it was, I mean, she was in construction and development. And, and so, like, when we got married, it was kind of like, wow, this is the way I run a business. This is the way we'll, marriage will be. And, 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 but all of a sudden, she gets this book on biblical womanhood, and she changes. She starts, like, she wants to help me. She wants to serve. She wants to be my helpmate. It was kind of weird for me at first. <laughs> and... And then all of a sudden she starts pouring into other women and they started taking those truths that were come right out of God's word and they started changing. Finally, she comes to me and she goes, Bill, you need to get with these men. She goes, the women are willing to submit to spiritual leadership of their husbands, but the men aren't lovingly serving and leading their wives. You know, working perfectly, complimenting each other. Like, the, the men are just like doing nothing. So I don't know what to do. So I got some books on spiritual leadership, biblical manhood. And then we decided to write this course. It was called Practical Steps for a Biblical Marriage. And it was God's design for marriage, biblical manhood, biblical womanhood, biblical communication, biblical finances, biblical child training, biblical sex. It was all kinds of good stuff. And, and what we said to people was we have no training in psychology. We have no training in marriage counseling. But what we have is God's word. And as Second Peter 1.3 says, his divine power has given us all things for life and godliness. If you just take these truths and apply them to your marriage, you can have a great marriage. But the problem is, we put our phone away. We put our Bible away. We put our GPS away. And, and we try to do it in our own strength and our own power. See, follow the right map. You could trust this map. That's why he says in verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Notice when he says all scripture, he doesn't say some scripture, all scripture, even numbers, it's breathed out by God. It, it, it's the very breath of God breathed out. He has given us his book. He's explained to us how to have life. Some of you might think, well, no, wait. Men wrote that. Well, listen to what Peter says in 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. These men that wrote the scriptures, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They used their own voice, they used their own personalities, and, and they wrote in different genres, but it was all breathed out by God. That's why it, it, when you look at the Bible, when you study the Bible, it's an amazing book. It, it's written by 40, it's 66 books written by 40 different authors over 1,500 years on three different continents in at least three different languages. It's the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The, the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. It's hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament of the Messiah to come, perfectly fulfilled in the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is God's book breathed out to us. And notice, it is profitable. And he says it's profitable for four things, for teaching, for reproof, 
for correction, for training in righteousness. When he says, when he says for reproof, that's knowing, or when he says uh, for teaching, that's knowing what's right. For reproof, it's knowing what's not right. For, for correction, that's knowing how to get right. And for training in righteousness, that's knowing how to stay right. This is a book that teaches us, if we spend time in it, about what's right, what's not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. We don't, want, we don't have to guess what God wants of us. We don't have to guess how I should love my wife as Christ loved the church. He tells me to consider others more important than myself. We, we don't have to tell, we don't have to figure out how to, for wives to respect their husbands. It gives us, it tells us how to raise our kids. It tells us how to handle money. It tells us how we can make a difference in the world. And when we apply this in our lives, notice it says that the man of God may be complete. When it says complete, it means furnished with everything you would need. It means you have no need for anything else. Equipped. We have every component for a task. The man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is a reminder of the priority of God's word in our lives. We can't just read it for a few minutes and put it down and say, I'm good. No, marinate in it, sit in it, learn from it, speak to the Lord through it. Should be a priority in our life. Here's what I know. When you're on the right path, because of your faith in the gospel and grounded in the truths of God's word, you can have assurance of eternal life. You can know that you know that if you were to die today, you would spend eternity in heaven. And in that moment, you would know it's well with your soul. You would know. I told you the story about my brother. 18 months later, I'm sitting in my office. This was in August of 2016. And I get a call from my brother's best friend. His name was Rob. I said, Rob, how you doing? And he never calls me. He says, not well. I said, what's wrong? He said, so my brother had a wife and four kids. And my oldest nephew was in his senior year at Virginia Military Institute, was at Quantico at the Officer Candidacy School. And so my sister-in-law and two of the kids flew up there for family weekend in a private plane friend of, of, of theirs let, flew them up there and the plane crashed and nobody heard from him. Like rocked our world. Going up to see my oldest nephew, Drew, and my youngest nephew, Bo, couldn't go because he had football practice. So in 18 months, this family of six went down to two boys. I've shared this before, but I'm thankful for their mother, Lisa, who had a vital relationship with the Lord and took her boys to church. 
my cousin chartered a, a jet for me to fly from Scottsdale to Richmond, Virginia, pick up my oldest nephew and fly him back to Indianapolis. And we got to their farm. They lived on a farm at about two in the morning. And I mean, you know, it's like this whole time I'm just like, as I'm flying to Richmond, I'm just, I'm just praying, God, I don't even know what to say. But I was just in the Psalms, resting in the Psalms, like resting in God's truths. I'm saying, Lord, what do you have for me in this? Because I can't make any sense out of it. We, 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 the next morning, Drew, the older brother, is laying on top of the bed with his younger brother, and he's got his Bible open, and he says, we're not going to let this define us. We know God is bigger than this. And here, here's the thing. You never know when trials are going to come. You never know when adversity is going to come. But the fact is, the way we remain faithful in the face of adversity is we've got follow faithful examples. Continue in the truths that you've learned, God's word. And follow the right path. When you do, you know, no matter what happens, your soul is secure. It, it'll be well with your soul. So I'm going to ask as our worship team comes up, just, I'm going to ask you to just to, to bow your heads right now. And, and as we get ready to respond in worship and then celebrate baptism, and some of you, there may be some people here right now that need to be baptized. And if, if you do, Maybe God's put it on your heart. You've not been baptized since receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. We have some shirts and extra towels. We'd love to baptize you. And I mean that. But some of you right now maybe have been playing Christianity and not living out your Christian life like you know you should. And if something were to happen to you today that would be shattering, and like we don't know until the moment we go through it, but you know you're just not prepared. God, just pray for God to prepare you. The most important way to be prepared is to know without a doubt that you have a vital relationship with Jesus Christ. That if something were to happen to you, you would spend eternity in heaven. There is no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. Father, I just ask right now that you would move in our hearts, that your spirit would have free reign to, call, to convict us where we need to be convicted to encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Maybe it's through baptism. Maybe it's through receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. Lord, whatever it is, I pray you would do a work in people's hearts right now. And I pray the most important thing that at the end of the day, they would know that their soul is secure in you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.